0: Today, on It's Time. Just because you find a convenience for your sin doesn't mean that God provided that convenience. I hear the calling, it's time. It's time.
1: It's time. time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler. Pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going first by verse through the Old Testament book of Jonah. So, turn there in your Bible and follow along as we join Pastor Mike.
0: Good morning to you. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Jonah. Now, if you don't know where the book of Jonah is, go in your Bible and uh, write where it goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Go to the Old Testament, back up a couple more books, and you'll find this unique book called Jonah. It's probably the most New Testament, Old Testament book because it's all about evangelism. We're going to see a lot of principles in this. Today, as we look at this book of Jonah, Jonah's name means dove. And uh, we're going to find a lot of interesting things here that perhaps we've not seen before. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, may your Holy Spirit come upon us. And Lord, as your Holy Spirit is active in the world right now, being about God, those things that you want to accomplish, may you remind each one of us that we're part of that great plan. And so as we spend this time studying your word, may your Holy Spirit not only speak to us, but inspire us and teach us how to listen to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 1. Now we like to teach texturally through the Bible. In other words, verse 1, chapter 1 of a book and go through it. That way you're going to be taught God's Word. And that's what you need to know in the days that we live in. Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what's interesting is Jesus gave great credibility to the book of Jonah. Now there are those today that say, well, there was no such thing as a great fish that swallowed anybody. This is a beautiful metaphor that we look at baloney. Jesus gave it great credibility. And as a matter of fact, uh, Jesus uh, concerning Jonah was the only one he likened himself to. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth. So Jesus gave the book of Jonah great value. But there's a lot of things here we want to look up close at. And so the first thing we find here, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Okay, that is the commission. Okay. Now notice it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. How does the word of the Lord come to Jonah? How does the word of the Lord come to you and me? I think that's really important. First, we have to remember something. And this is why, again, this book is the most New Testament style, Old Testament book, because it's all about evangelism. Do you know God's heart is that nobody would perish, but that everybody would have eternal life. Always remember that God's heart is to save the lost world. Your part, my part is to help the lost world anointed by Jesus Christ to be about our father's business. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. How does the word of the Lord come to us today? Well, first of all we have to realize something evangelism is never one-sided go out there and do the job you have to remember something else the Holy Spirit is alive and well in the planet earth convicting people of their sins that's the first thing you have to remember all we do as a child of God, is come along and provide the opportunity for them to have their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. Again, many times we think, oh, it's all just the evangelist's job. Well, we're all evangelists. You're going to see people I'll never see. I'll see people maybe you'll never see. But God wants to save everybody, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, I don't know how the word of the Lord comes to you. I know one thing that sometimes, whether it's in a restaurant, and this happened to me when I was down in Arizona last week, that sometimes God will set up these uh, divine appointments that only God can do. And the thing is, you think, well, maybe I should tell this person about, about you, God, or invite them to church, or tell them to tune in and listen on the radio. I am thinking, oh, well, they're not going to listen. They're not going to do that. Hey, listen, If God is unctioning you to say something, the word of the Lord is coming to you. It isn't the devil telling you to tell him about the Lord. It isn't you by nature telling him, wanting to tell him about the Lord. It is the word of the Lord coming to you to spawn you because God says, I've been working on this person. I want you to give him the opportunity to receive me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Think about this for a minute this week. How does the word of the Lord come to you? When you find that, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, again, this burden I carry for God. Well, let me just tell you something. The burden we carry for God is the word of the Lord that God gave us to go out and invite people into his kingdom. I don't consider that a burden. I consider that a blessing. And so when we have an opportunity to invite people to come into the kingdom of God, that's a great thing. God is already there convicting them. Notice what it says. It says, for their wickedness has come up before me. You see, they were all involved in these horrendous things. This city of Nineveh, the largest city of the ancient world, three days walking across, just to get across the city, it was three days' journey. Huge city. They estimate it could have been as much as over, well over a million people. There, uh, in another place towards the end of the Bible, uh, uh, end of Jonah here, it says that there was 60,000 children under the age of five. Now you say, well, what does it say? It says 60,000 that cannot discern between their left hand and their right hand. They usually figure around five years old, you begin to figure out, hey, I got two hands here. Well, he said there was 60,000 kids there under real small baby type kids. So do the math, you can figure out this was a huge city and a very wicked city. Now, one of the things about it It was part of that great Assyrian empire, the most wicked probably empire that ever ruled the world. They were noted for their cruelty to people. They, uh, When they would capture you, they'd cut off your ear or cut off your nose or, or uh, disfigure you in some way. They were known for impaling people. When you would go into a city that was an Assyrian city, there'd be a stack of skulls on both sides. Don't mess around in this place. They didn't put up with gangland violence. They didn't put up with this stuff. They dealt with it severely and quickly. Now, again, they were also very cruel and wicked. And so I suppose when Jonah heard that God was going to judge the city of Nineveh, I don't think Jonah went, oh man, that's too bad. I think Jonah was going, yeah, finally. But God had something else. He wanted to save them, not to punish them. In fact, this book is recorded for us the greatest revival in the Bible. The whole city, somewhere probably around a million people repented, the Bible says, up to the king in sackcloth and ashes. This is a tremendous story because it's God's grace in the Old Testament. I've had people say, well, why was God such a God of grace in the New Testament? And he was such a God of wrath, fire and brimstone in the Old Testament. I go, you didn't read the Bible. Because if you read in the New Testament, you read where Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse at the end of the tribulation period, and he slaughters the wicked. Well, that doesn't sound very graceful. Yep, yeah, that's in the New Testament. Well, here in the Old Testament, God hated Gentiles and didn't want to have anything to do with them so often they thought. Here, God sends a Jewish boy named Jonah, to a Gentile city to tell them to repent. I think it's pretty amazing, actually, when you look at God's grace, Old Testament or new, you look at God's judgment, Old Testament or new, what's my conclusion? God doesn't change. People say, oh, God changed. I went from a God of wrath, fire, and brimstone to a God of love in the New Testament. Not so. In fact, if you look at the continuity between the Old Testament and New, you'll see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as it says in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, God's given Jonah the commission. God I gave him an unction. I can, I can just see Jonah sitting there maybe thinking about the city of Nineveh, thinking about their wickedness, thinking about how bad they are. I think a lot of times people think that way. And then all of a sudden, maybe God spoke to him and said, Jonah, you need to go tell them a message for me. Hmm, Their wickedness is great. Now, again, the devil's not going to tell you to go tell people or a city to repent. And you by nature, you and me by nature, it's not our nature to tell somebody else to get right with God. That's not our nature. So we know that when we get a commission, an unction from God, God's up to something. Learning to hear God's voice is so cool because that's where the miracles and the power of God is at. So in other words, when we find this unction, and you know, people have often talked about, well, America needs another revival like the Jesus movement. A, a, a movement that was so pronounced and so uh, so far-reaching that it even uh, uh, changed the pop the pop culture of America. Uh, you know where uh, you know we find the songs of, of uh, <clears throat> ride 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 the wild surf to you know put your hand in the hand of the man that still the waters. Norman Greenbaum, spirit in the sky when I die and they lay me to rest, I'm going to go to the place it's best. You find. Uh, uh, John Lennon, my sweet lord, even though it was all singing about Hari Krishna, Hari Hari at the end of the song. The point was is that there was a religious or a Jesus revolution within the church that spilled over into the world. I think it's pretty amazing. God wants to do something in a lost world. But we always say, okay, God, well, when are you going to do that? What's going to spark the, the, the revival? Friends, it's you. It's me. And what is that? Listening to the calling of God. Now remember, God may have been working on this individual who He's laid on your heart for a long time to get right with Him. I remember there was a pastor down in California that they said this guy was just super anointed because every time he sneezed, 10,000 people would get saved. Is that what it is? A, A good cold will cause a revival? No, what it was, was simply, he recognized that God was working in individuals' lives. And all they needed was somebody to to say, Oh, hey, you guys are all looking for life. It's over here. Come. That's all you and me are. Let's take and de-religionize witnessing. Let's go and simply say, Okay, God, When you unction me, that means that you have been working in this person's life and there's a message that you want me to bring to them. Now, a lot of times we think, oh, they're just going to slam the door in my face. They're going to hang up on me or they're going to not want to talk to me. You would be surprised how lost our world is. Have you seen the sitcoms on television? Have you seen the news? Have you seen the people groping in the dark, looking for answers? Let me tell you something. The fields are white with harvest. The labors are few. And the unction of the Holy Spirit in you is the answer to the world's lost and sinful condition. It's just the way it is. And the reason why is it's the unction. It's the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we always spiritualize this, that there Jonah was, sitting in his living room. And all of a sudden, and God appears and says, go to Nineveh. I think God, when he spoke to, Nin- to Jonah to go to Nineveh, it was probably, hey, look at that big wicked city. I hate that place. And God says, well, why don't you go do something about it? Who, me? Yeah, you. Well, somebody else will do it. No, God doesn't point somebody else to do it. He points to you and me to do it. Why did God lay that on his heart? Well, again, friends, you're going to find God will do that. Now, from now on, when we read, starting here in verse 3, we want to take some good notes on what not to do. Good notes on not what to do. Verse 3, but Jonah arose. Well, so far it's good, ain't it? He got up. He's got action. But notice what it says. To flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Huh? This guy knew God. Jonah knew who God was. He also knew the writings of the Psalms. He knew who who David was. And David said, if I go into heaven, you're there. If I go into Sheol, you're there. God, where can I go to get out of your presence? There's no place we can escape from God's presence. And I feel very bad for the ministers down through the history of ages that have somehow made people think that God lives in the box. Oh God, as we come into your presence today, listen, you were in God's presence when you got out of bed this morning. And you put your shoes on. You're never out of God's presence. And again, friends, I take great comfort in that. Sometimes it's an embarrassment, isn't it? Because the things that when we realize that we're in the presence of God, the things that we do, I know embarrass God. We all need to repent for those things. But the other good thing about it is when you're scooting down on the road backwards on the ice in Idaho, you know God's presence is right there. God's never far away. And you know what's really great? I don't have to conjure God up. eeny, beanie, chilly beanie, God is about to speak. I don't have to do that. He's right there. Do you know a lot of people think they have to conjure God? And this is one of the great breakdowns in religion today. Well, now, if you go over and you say, five our fathers, and then you do some Hail Marys, and then you, you know, burn some incense, man, you might just get God's attention. Well, friends, that's not a Bible. The Bible tells us he's ever present in your life. I like that. He's never far away. He's right here. And God has, because he loves you and you're his child, if you're truly born again, a message for you for this lost, beat up, sick world. Now notice, Jonah arose. So, so far, so good. But notice it says, to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish was the most farthest remote place possible. Somewhere to the west and to the north of Israel. This is where he went. And notice he says, so we went down to Joppa. And found a ship going to Tarshish. So we paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That was his mistake. Now again, false understanding of God does not change the the accuracy and the trueness of God. Uh, In other words, if Jonah thought I could get on a boat and get out of the presence of God or get away from the calling of God, well, that's what I'll try to do. Now, a couple of things here. So he went... Down to Joppa. Joppa's an interesting place. Here you find Jonah trying to get out of the presence of God to get away from telling the Gentiles about the Lord. It's the same city in which Peter saw the sheet let down from heaven saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat three times. It was the gateway for the Gentiles to be saved. Jonah used it to get away from ministering to the Gentiles. God used Peter as the gateway to start the ministry to the Gentiles. You don't think God's got a sense of humor? (laughs) So, notice it says he went down to Joppa and found a ship. Wow. Now this is interesting because I know some people would say, oh, God wants me to get on the ship. Look, I found one. This has got to be God's will for me to get out of his presence, not do what he wants me to do. Look, I found a ship. Listen, just because you find a convenience for your sin doesn't mean that God provided that convenience. Listen, friends, there's always, and I know this, I'm speaking of this personally, there's always an excuse not to do what God wants us to do. (laughs) Just that way. I, I can always come up with an excuse not to do what God wants me to do. Why is that? Because by our old sin nature, we're in rebellion to God. Now, when you become born again, your spirit wants to serve God, but you still have an issue. And anybody here that doesn't believe me, you just check it out. You have an old sin nature that's in rebellion to God. That's why Paul says, I beat the flesh to keep the old man under. He said, uh, he says, I've got to not let the things that I want override the things God wants. If we feed the spirit, we reap the spirit. You say, why is that important? First of all, it's exciting to reap the spirit. You see the anointing. You see the power of God. You hear his voice. That's pretty cool. That's not the Olsen nature. But when we feed the flesh, it drowns out. It beats out the voice of God, and we become selfish again. So he says. He went and found a ship going to Tarsus. I actually circled this in my Bible, and I circled it, and I put Okay, this has got to be God's will. Be careful. Sometimes, you know, well, God, you know, if you don't want me to get loaded tonight, don't have my drug dealer call me. Ring, ring. Hey, man, want to buy some junk? Uh, It's got to be God's will. Nope. That ain't the way it works. I believe, again, friends, the devil is a real good manipulator. He knows how to set you up. Why? God knows all the people that you're going to influence in your life for the kingdom of God. Once you become a Christian, the devil will do whatever it takes to get you not to do that and provide a ship for you to get out of Dodge or Joppa in this particular case. Well, notice what he says. And so he paid the fare. Wow, isn't it funny the Bible writes these things down for us? He paid the fare. He used his money to try to get out of the presence of God. (laughs) Does that sound uh, like anyone you know? You know I'm convicted of sin, but you know if I just spend my money, I can say so preoccupied I won't even listen to God's voice anymore. You know it's funny, money does a lot of things. Somebody said one time, it's like music. It's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all sin. Now, the word there isn't money in the Bible, believe it or not. It says the love of mammon, or the the, mammon is the root of all evil. What is mammon? The power that money brings. Oh, and if we can just... Use our resources to get out of the call of God in our life. This sounds like a lot of 21st century American church, doesn't it? We, we don't, I, I go to church, God, but, you know, I, I've got so many things I got to do. I, I don't have time for you anymore. And so I've used my money to effectively remove me from what you want me to do. And I'm going to flee and go do what I want to do. You know, maybe if I go up to the mountains, I'll have a good time. Well, I'm not saying it isn't fun to go up to the mountains. But I am saying we have to be careful because our money can take us away. You know, Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man to go uh, into heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why is that? Because riches will supplant the calling of God in your life.
1: Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up,